0: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
1: There is a place just for you. A place that embraces the promise of a warm spring night and a reminder to hurry home on a cool autumn evening. It is a place that exists above and below, where the surreal and sublime dance cheek to cheek. This is a place just for you to sit back and enjoy. Beautiful tales for the disenchanted. Our tale tonight is entitled... The Ultimate, Chapter 1. White, thin black lines on top, thin black lines on the side. Boxes create space full of promise. Pencil outlines traced in ink capture colour in between. Negative space blooms into kirby crackles. Letters applied one by one in little bubbles grow into words. Words form desperate sentences. It's the end of the world, again. Today we turn back the ancient flesh machines and return them to the dead universe from which they were spawned. Jagged lightning splits the red sky into perfect comic book shaped panels. Thunder rolls down from the heavens. Above the mayhem, one voice booms like a god. A woman, clad in broken armour, lifts her spear high above her head, her snake-trimmed cape digging into the dirt. She holds her bloodstained shield with a free arm as an owl descends and lands upon her shoulder. Her grey eyes match the colour of the feathers of her closest confidant. Who holds the story in their grasp? From behind the warrior, bruised and broken heroes appear, their gaudy costumes reduced of their grandeur, their perfect bodies ripped and stained. They look about and take stock of their number. This is all that is left of their broken league. This is where they will make their final stand. On the horizon, a black sun settles, casting a cool shadow. Within that shadow sit the frail. Nobody turns to run, even though they can hear their enemies approach. A raven-haired woman, her bare arms and legs covered in bruises and cuts, pushes to the front, holding a tattered book in her hands. I have it here, she says. She looks at the warrior woman and does her best to control the desperation in her voice. Athena, do you think he will return in time? Time is running out, replies Athena, as more lightning shatters above. I'm sorry I left them there all alone. Don't blame yourself, Calliope. Your persona was flawed. They could smell you from the outset. Calliope takes her red and yellow cape in hand and uses it to wipe blood from her forehead. She knows everyone thinks she's inexperienced due to her youthful appearance, but they forget she is old enough to remember forgotten kingdoms that once ruled the world. She has stared down evil gods and monstrous aliens in her time, but this feels like something new, like a story she hasn't read before. Is this the moment when they finally lose? She turns and sees him, hovering above the ground, his red cape fluttering upon the warm wind, his skin shining and perfect. He cracks his knuckles against his palm, and sparks dance across his hands before evaporating in the air. Be careful! The first signs the frail are coming is an overwhelming sense of doubt, followed by anxiety! Suddenly the world explodes as the sound of tearing metal echoes across the land. To keep sane, she looks down and draws a circle in the dirt with the tip of her dirty green boot. She draws another circle within the borders of the original circle, and then another circle within that one until she finishes with a dot in the centre. She focuses on the shape she has created, ignoring the cacophony of noise that surrounds them and feels overwhelmed by the relief that washes over her when the bedlam has finally faded. I wish we were fighting Queen Time or Super Smart Gorilla. They're the type of enemies that make sense to me, she says, looking back to the horizon. You didn't answer my question. He will return when he finally has the flute in his grasp, the blue-clad marvel says with a voice that is deep and reassuring. He looks at her and points to the book. How is the story progressing? Everyone gathers around the book as she opens to the latest page. This is the only volume I could find. The quicksand skipped to the last page against my wishes. What happened next? Calliope sighs. He complained that it was sentimental and then blinked out of existence. The moon boys said they found him, reduced to text on a screen, firing out complaints about stories that can't exist. He lands gently on the ground and points at Calliope. She returns her attention to the book. Now the drama of destruction plays out. Our hero lost forgets his truth and fails to hear the call to glory. Who can remind the ultimate hunter of men to return to his mission? He must remember, for if he fails, the multiverse will be no more. She reads aloud before daring to turn her attention away from the book. He still looks lost. Corrupt ideas and malignant thoughts made manifest. It is time for me to enter the narrative, the ultimate man replies. A piercing scream rings out across the sea as the universe shakes. A wall of darkness descends. Chapter 2 Endless black thins into a horizontal line as a blinding light overwhelms. Then, with much effort... Robert Lowry opens his eyes. He feels the colour of the day strike a piercing blow and as the morning reveals that it has indeed arrived, he concludes he's done it again. He knows his feeling too well. He knows he's about to embark on another morning full of regret and a general suspicion about his previous night. Is it possible that he's dead? He can't be dead. You can't feel this much pain in heaven, right? Although if he were in the other place, this agony would make a lot of sense. Overwhelmed senses for eternity sound like a fitting punishment. Robert closes his eyes to escape the glare of the new day. His hand instinctively reaches for a pillow and pulls it over his face as he attempts to sink further into the safety of the bed. His body quivers with too much heat, even though it is the middle of winter. Robert rolls his shrivelled tongue over his teeth and feels the ridges that have slowly been eroded by his constant grinding. According to his doctor, Robert grinds like a winner and therefore he needs to wear a plate at night or at some point in the future he'll be stuck with tiny teeth that are so sensitive that he'll have to avoid being in the same room as an apple, let alone ever attempt to bite one again. Robert refuses to wear a plate. He'd only forget to use it or lose it. He's convinced it's just a grown-up's pacifier and he is, without a doubt, a grown-up. He pulls the pillow slightly to one side making certain it reveals his mouth so he can breathe in the clear air while also protecting his eyes. He can taste that familiar metallic taste he endures most mornings, that taste that suggests he spent a night going down on Optimus Prime or gargling batteries. Robert is hung over again. What a shock, true believers! A sudden desire to drink all of the water forces Robert into the horrible realisation that he will have to get up and face the day. He needs to consume something cold. He needs to cool his body now before he combusts. If only he'd drunk water the previous night, he would have avoided this hellish morning. Ha! This morning was always happening. He knows it deep down. This is what he does. He's a faded somebody. That's part of the contract when you sign up to be a somebody. At some point, you'll be nobody, and you have to endure the slide into obscurity with as little class and dignity as possible. They're the rules, and you must adhere to the rules, or how else will a cliche form? He still feels like he has a way to go, because he hasn't ended up papped in some magazine looking tired and bloated. Is it because there hasn't been a sunny day in Melbourne for what feels like 307 years? It has been a cold, dark winter and that may have kept the paparazzi out of action as they hibernate away in their cold, dank caves. Or maybe he's slid so far down the totem pole of fame that he isn't deemed worthy enough to revel in his slow descent into obscurity. Robert suddenly remembers his phone and wonders where it might be. Is it in his jeans? In his jacket? Does he still have a jacket? Does he still have his phone? He's going to have to get up, be a grown-up, a staggering, sore, ruined big boy. He forces his left eye open and then his right. They slowly adjust and Robert looks about a room he doesn't recognise. That's because this is not his house. In the distance, he can hear someone in the shower humming a tune that he vaguely recognises. He needs to get his shit together as quickly as possible. First port of call, aspirin. Second, coffee. A double tar-infused espresso, something to remind the heart to keep beating. Robert had weaned himself off lattes many years ago because he didn't want to poison his body with excess milk and sugar. "'All that sugar will ruin you,' he once told the staff at his store. He'd read an article that day about sugar, and that inspired him to change his coffee routine right there on the spot. Robert was certain he felt better for it, and was even convinced he'd lost some weight feeling less jowly when he looked in the mirror. "'Don't worry about the excessive drinking, though. Everyone needs advice. Don't worry about the pot, either. Or the Coke.' Or the whatever is being passed around, sugar is the real supervillain here, and when Robert puts his mind to something, well, by golly, by jingo, by crikey, he can defeat anything and anyone. Of course, if someone offered him a line of sugar off a dirty toilet lid, he'd be the first to kneel down to give it a crack. Why not? You never know what type of high you'd be missing out on, and genuine highs are hard to come by the longer you live. Robert knows that to start the day, he has to sit up. He braces for the moment with one burst of energy, launches himself upright to a mostly sitting, mildly crumpled position. At first, he feels pretty good. Everything is going to be okay. Then the room spins like he's on a carnival ride, and Robert discovers his belief in God. As in, God, please take away this pain, and I promise to believe in you even when I don't need you, even though you know that I know that as soon as I get my shit together, I'll be back to my atheist ways, but please help me, God, forgive me, my trespasses, anything, everything, please. Both his hands reach out for handholds, and when nothing presents itself, he falls backwards onto the bed. Might be time for a new plan. First the aspirin, then some toast, butter and Vegemite, simple and salty. Then all the coffee in the world, no sugar. You know the drill, sugar kills, baby. For a man who has made excessive drinking a defining trait, Robert knows the worst thing about this morning is that he isn't going to throw up. He's not going to have a liquid laugh, a liquidation of assets, a salutation to the porcelain god. Instead, he's going to be stuck with this regret rolling around in his belly, poisoning his veins, colouring the whites of his eyes for the rest of the day until he either goes to bed or recovers early enough to forget the morning's challenges and start it all over again. If Robert had a choice, he would much rather lose it all now and get it out of his system, but he just knows that isn't going to happen. He never vomits. It's his superpower. It's his curse. Time to make another attempt at sitting up. This time, he rises slowly and steadies himself by placing both his hands behind him. With a newfound confidence, Robert pulls his right hand around and rubs his face. It feels swollen, like that guy in the Steve McQueen movie Papillon. What did he have again? Leprosy. Yeah, he had leprosy. Did he catch leprosy overnight? No, not leprosy and not swollen all over. Just a big lump on his forehead, a hint of John Merrick. Too soon? His newfound lump is tender to touch, a new pain branching out under the scalp and dragging across the surface of his brain. His hair feels greasy between his fingers and for a moment all he can think about is how disappointed Melody would be. She hated greasy hair. Of course, this is the moment that gives Robert great shame. Not that he's hung over again. Not that he's in a bed that is totally alien to him, again. Not that he's slowly killing himself, again. No, it's what Melody would think of his greasy hair. She would be aghast to see him now, in this shape. It is the only aspect of her death that works in his favour, that she's not around to see him like this. It's such a pain in the ass to wash his long black hair. He's lucky he still has such thick hair, especially compared to the rest of his ex-bandmates. Although, it's not as long as it used to be in his heyday. It's not as black as it used to be either. Not now, with the thin chemtrails of grey spilling out from the roots. He doesn't bother to dye his hair. He doesn't need to. A younger George Clooney, back in his ER days, made it cool for men to go grey. Thanks, George. Unfortunately, the feel of the greasy, not-quite-as-black hair brings a new realisation to Robert's body as he acknowledges that he is indeed going to have to vomit. How did this happen? He never vomits. He doesn't have time to debate how he ended up in this situation. He has to act fast. Robert lurches to a standing position and wonders why nobody bothered to tell him that the world had turned into a bouncy castle overnight. His stomach makes a noise alien to humans and he desperately attempts to remember if he had already visited the toilet in this foreign place. He rifles through his random memories. A DJ playing a Spanish cover of Hotel California. A group of men and women he doesn't recognise. Shots of tequila! Robert yelling at the ceiling with his arms around two strangers. Something long and white being snorted in a toilet at a bar with a guy that he doesn't know. All these tiny fragments of superfluous memories bubble to the surface, but no recollection of where the fucking toilet is. Damn you, soaked memories! Robert stumbles from the bed and across a bedroom that looks like the zombie apocalypse has finally happened. Clothes are strewn across the floor, an empty bottle of red and stained wine glasses nestled against the wall. The blinding light sneaking perfectly through the middle of the half-drawn horizon of the curtain and hitting the exact place he'd been asleep in the bed. A framed poster of a kitten hanging from a tree with the words, HANG IN THERE! Written in some hideous font. Fuck me, they still make that fucking poster, Robert says, his voice sounding like a combination of sandpaper and glue. He stumbles over the clothes, knowing full well that a shoe or some other object could be lying in wait, ready to tear his ligaments in half the moment he stands on an innocuous-looking T-shirt. Robert attempts to tiptoe like a soldier avoiding landmines in a war on tidiness, but instead wobbles back and forth like a toddler learning to walk. Even though he can see exactly where the door is left ajar, he still manages to lurch to one side and give the frame a thoroughly convincing hip and shoulder. It will hurt eventually, but not just yet. With the overwhelming desire to vomit becoming more and more difficult to hold back, Robert does his best to think about anything but his greasy hair, his greasy hair, greasy hair, hair. He closes his eyes and when he opens them again, he is halfway through his upchuck cycle and notices with great joy that he did indeed find the toilet. Within the blink of an eye, he has gone from worrying about what Melody would think to finding himself crumpled on the floor like a baby giraffe that has lost the will to live within seconds of being born. He feels contrasting fluids rolling around his stomach and welcomes the moment when his body begins to heave again. Robert is certain his retching can be heard in Iceland, that he sounds like a creature locked deep in a cave that has just woken and is ready to feed. I am Gugum, and I am power, he would declare to the Icelandic people. Die, like the ants you truly are. Another wave, and then it is over. Robert draws himself to his knees, and for the first time notices he is not only naked, but that he also has a condom, gripping loosely to his flaccid penis. It peels off with a pitifulness that suggests a night of unrealized potential. He tears off some toilet paper and wraps the condom in it. He'll throw it in the bin, wherever that may be. Ugh. Who doesn't have a little bin in their toilet? It's time to stand up, get his shit together and get out of wherever he is. Where is he? He still has no idea how he arrived in this place. or with whom? This is a disaster. Are you okay? A woman's voice from behind the door. How long has he been holed up in here? Minutes? Hours? Years? I'm good, Robert says, his voice cracking under the strain of sounding fine. No hurry, but I have to go to work. I can leave you here if you like. This is all Robert needs to hear. He stands up, the baby giraffe now deciding to live by giving walking one more try. He totters momentarily on the spot and instinctively looks back in the toilet. A rejected Jackson Pollock looks back at him, so Robert grabs the brush and flushes the toilet while cleaning the sides. Thank goodness for the overwhelming pain of the hangover. It's blocking out the embarrassment he should be enduring right at this moment. I'm on my way. Give me a sec, he says, trying not to sound broken. No worries. Robert looks around for clothes and remembers that the only thing he wore into the toilet was a dishevelled prophylactic that he is now holding in a ball of toilet paper. Didn't dishevelled prophylactic do support for nine-inch nails on their last tour? His mind returns to the present and he wonders what he can do next. He has to leave the toilet at some point. He's just going to have to walk out there, head held high, full of pride, like it really is no big thing. Yeah, that pride. At this point, Robert feels like it couldn't get any worse. Then he looks at the poster on the toilet door. It's a poster from the late 90s of the Australian band, Dead Fingers Tapping. Five white men, so young. Varying degrees of long hair, all dressed very alternatively. Seattle grunge chic. They stare intently from the poster. The twins looking hot. The lead singer looks like he's read some books. The two other guys looking like they need to take a shit. Robert thinks the poster looks brand new, but is certain they stopped printing these many years ago. Five young men, the world at their feet, staring at him from the past with a collective gaze that believes they all know exactly where they are going. Ah, oh, for fuck's sake, Robert says softly as he galvanises himself for his triumphant exit from behind the toilet door. He opens it slowly, and when he doesn't see anybody, makes a flailing dash to the bedroom, praying that the girl isn't in there waiting for him. From somewhere else, he hears her voice call out to him. I poured you some water, she says as he stumbles into her empty bedroom. "'Thank you. I'll just find my stuff.' Robert scans the floor, sees a bin in the corner, and throws the rolled toilet paper like a tiny basketball toward it. He watches it land perfectly and is quietly pleased with his hand-eye coordination, all things considered. "'Is it the shoes?' he says to himself in his best NBA jam voice. He looks about the room and finds his jeans, but no underwear.' Please let them be inside my jeans. Please let them be inside my jeans. Please let them be inside my jeans. It turns out sometimes dreams do come true as he finds his underwear entwined within his jeans, wrapped together like a firm handshake between two old men who genuinely like each other. He does his best to release them from their grip, but it turns out to be trickier than he expected. It's like trying to work out a fucking Rubik's Cube, he says in frustration. From behind, he hears a woman's laugh. Robert jumps slightly at the voice that's suddenly much closer than he expected. I'm going to leave the water here while you deal with that. She places the water on a set of drawers over spilling with underwear, clothes and jewellery. Robert catches a glimpse of his face in the mirror and shudders at what he sees. He looks like Patty Smith if she decided to live the life of Mickey Rourke. He can feel the bile rise in his mouth but doesn't know if he needs to be physically sick again or if he's just being metaphorically sick at what he's become. Finally, his underwear and jeans come apart. Achievement unlocked! He slips on the underwear, then the jeans, and then finds his black shirt crumpled in another corner of the room. He slips into the shirt and then finds his jacket on the chair, hiding amongst the rest of the clothes that live wild and free in this bedroom. He checks his pockets. Phone? Check. Keys? Check. Wallet? Check. He slips the wallet out and opens it up. A pineapple looks back at him, a crisp 50. You beauty, Robert says. Finding $50 suddenly feels like a win on a day like this. He doesn't need the money. When it comes to coin, he's going to be more than okay. But today, he feels like it's going to be all about the little victories. He sits down on the bed and drinks most of the water with heavy gulps. Alongside the bed are his shoes with his socks stuffed inside. He pulls on the socks that...
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile.
1: have old-school images of Iron Man flying up the sides, classic Bob Layton art reproduced in cheap cotton. Normally, Robert would feel embarrassed. These socks are his emergency socks, the socks he wears when he no longer has any clean socks available. Luckily, all embarrassment has been superseded by the journey to and from the toilet in his bathing suit attire. This is but a mere footnote to today's disgrace. He ties up his shoes, stands up, slides his arms into his leather jacket and finally feels like he's ready to face the world like a real man. Ten minutes later, when he emerges from the toilet for the second time that morning, she's waiting for him in her kitchen, waving a toothbrush and toothpaste. I figured this spare toothbrush would come in handy. With an ice pick attempting to push through his brain and a forehead with a grotesque lump that is feeling the size of Mount Kosciuszko, all Robert can do is attempt a non-convincing laugh and accept the gift. She points to the bathroom and he makes his way there, preferring to keep the light off and let the natural morning rays do their job. Robert looks in the mirror at the lump and is relieved to see that it isn't as large as it feels. He runs his fingers delicately over it, wincing slightly, and gets on with the job of brushing his teeth. He's halfway through scrubbing his tongue, enjoying the peppermint sting of something clean in his mouth, when he thinks he remembers the woman's name. He rinses, turns around, and sees her leaning on the wall just outside the bathroom. That looks nasty, she says, her face wincing at the sight of these lumps. I think it looks worse than it feels, Robert says, holding out the toothpaste and toothbrush. You can keep the toothbrush, she says, while taking the toothpaste. Something to remember me by. Robert is fairly certain he has her name right and rolls the dice. I'll call it Erica, he says, with a mild upward inflection. She smiles a big smile. It's a good smile. I have to be honest... When you took your tumble last night, I was half expecting you to not only forget my name, but also your own, Erica says as she walks back into her bedroom. She is thin and dresses in a way that suggests she is taller than she really is. Her long blonde hair catches the morning light draped perfectly around her face and neck. Her black skirt is short enough to suggest the confidence of youth, but long enough to be considered respectable in a workplace. She wears a black jacket over her blouse and sports, full red lips. She looks like someone he once knew, but he pushes that thought away. She sprays some perfume across her neck and the fragrance tickles his nose, hinting that there might be plenty of opportunities to throw up again later in the day. Tommy, did you hear me? She says. She's still smiling. How can she be smiling after a night like last night? He feels foolish, old, like an idiot. In other words, exactly how he should feel. Also, she called him Tommy. Did he not tell her his real name? Sorry, miles away. What did you say? Erica picks up her bag. I asked you if you wanted a lift anywhere. I'm heading into the city. Ah, man, the last thing he needs is a lift with someone who seems very nice, but he doesn't know. A woman who is quite clearly younger than him, but a proper grown-up, dressed to tackle the world while he is barely able to function. How can he keep up with any conversation that might occur when he knows he'll be concentrating on not vomiting every few metres? He has a credit card. He has a 50. He's a fucking millionaire. He'll be fine. Also, being driven into the city on a weekday sounds like a nightmare. It's a weekday, right? Yeah, it's Wednesday. Good old hump day. No, make that lump day to go along with the egg on his head. Hump lump day, Australia's newest holiday. That's great, thanks, he says. I'm heading to King Street. Does that work for you? He's surprised by his answer. It feels like it's going to be a long day. Erica opens the front door and swings around to look at him, outlined perfectly by the stark morning light. It certainly does. Lock and load. Let's roll. Chapter three. Is this Bob Seger? It is. Well played. It's the second track of his album. It's a mystery. Do you like Seger? Sure, says Robert. To be honest, he's never heard a full album by Bob Seger. He knows his voice. A few songs here and there, but that's it. You seem a little young to be into Seger, says Robert. I have an eclectic taste in music, says Erica. I like the older stuff. Freaks out, my friends. There's the stuff mum and dad were into, Seger, the Eagles, Clearance, that sort of shit. Listening to those artists makes me think of them. Personally, I'm more into Queen, Bowie, a bit of Zeppelin. Not to mention Aussie bands like Cold Chisel, The Divinals, Magic Dirt. Erica pauses and Robert hopes she isn't about to say what. Dead fingers tapping, she says, a big smile on her face as she glances over to see his reaction. He forces a laugh. He's uncertain if it is effective, not because he's offended, although being referred to as the older stuff along with Seeger has taken a chunk out of his self-esteem, but because the constant stopping and starting of the car in this traffic is making him feel woozy. Also, Robert feels self-conscious as he is certain he can smell himself. Not that he smells necessarily bad, but he worries that he smells like that specific scent you're confronted with when you remove the doona from the cupboard after a long hot summer. He wants to stick his head out of the window to escape the smell like a blue healer wearing a red bandana on a warm sunny day. That dog has it made. I always thought they were a little on the nose, he says. Well, I think people who don't like them just don't get them, says Erica, quite clearly enjoying the game that Robert has decided to play. In other circumstances, he feels like he'd have a great retort ready to go, but his pickled and bruised brain can barely remind him to keep breathing, let alone release his inner Oscar Wilde. Too much thinking was making him dizzy. So I have to ask, oh no, Erica was going to ruin everything by asking a question. He was more than comfortable with Erica talking. She was engaging, funny and full of surprises. What he wasn't able to do was cope with questions because questions usually wanted answers and answers were difficult, while Robert can barely form a sentence. That didn't sound like it was written by a man with a vocabulary of 30 words. He'd have to do his best to discourage her questions. Go for it. At some point, Robert was going to have to have some stern words with the obvious disconnect between his brain and mouth. Meanwhile, Erica laughs a little too self-consciously. You didn't see the poster in the toilet, did you? What does he say? Erica is quite clearly a little embarrassed, so saying no will save her any more awkwardness. If Robert is honest with himself, if he denies it, then maybe she'll let it slip and he won't have to answer any more questions. One problem. For all of his faults, lying isn't one of them. Sure, he lies to himself... All the time, but to other people he's great, honest as. What is he doing? Just answer the question. Besides, it's just a poster. Yeah, he says. He gears himself up to let her know it's okay, that there's no reason to feel awkward, that he doesn't mind, and in fact, considering the way the morning had played out, it was actually pretty funny. Unfortunately, his mouth stops at this point, unable to move. It looks like his brain has finally been pickled. Robert's mouth is useless and his skin feels numb. He wonders if he's dribbling. I was going to take it down as soon as we would got back to my place, but then everything happened and whoosh! I completely forgot until you were in the toilet. Robert feels a weight lift. While he was struggling with what Erica might be thinking as he was puking, she was too busy worrying that he'd seen her poster. What a relief! He could have stayed in there longer and Erica wouldn't have noticed. In fact, he could still be in there now. He would like that, alone in the toilet, those young faces on the poster looking down at him with dismay. "'Don't you judge me!' he could have yelled, shaking his fist with one hand while his other hand kept him from swaying. "'He could have had a little sleep in there, too!' left the house without anyone noticing, gotten himself back on track. "'To be honest, I was more confused by your kitten poster,' Richard says, hoping to deflect the conversation. Erica laughs. "'I know! My sister is always making fun of me. She reckons I'm the only one keeping blue tack in business. What can I say?' I move around so much, putting up posters is the only way of making a place your own as quickly as possible. Richard nodded. He hadn't moved in a long time, owning his place out Fitzroy Northway for nearly two decades. Posters suddenly made a lot of sense. You got pretty agitated when George brought up your ban last night, Erica says, accompanied by a quick glance. Robert consents that Erica is testing the situation. Is it okay to talk about the ban? Should she change the subject? Robert feels resentful and relieved, resentful that he still has to talk about them, relieved that they haven't been totally forgotten. If she wants to ask questions, he can answer them. She's giving him a lift into the city. It's the least he can do. For once, he can be a grown-up and tackle a discomfort head-on. Hang on, who's George? Robert says, changing the direction of the conversation. George, you know, my ex. Ah, yeah, George. Robert has no idea who George is. Did he talk to George? Did he have to kill with him? What does she mean her ex? Did he hook up with Erica in front of the ex? None of this is good, apart from the bit where she provided a perfect moment where he could change the conversation about the band and move on to something else. How long were you seeing George? Robert says, not caring about the answer, but just praying for a long one. Probably about seven years. Seven years is heaps. Like, that is longer than most marriages these days. He was a great boyfriend. I was a pretty good girlfriend. But then one day it was just poof, done over we'd somehow evolved from lovers to best friends we're cool i'm lucky to have a good ex although i have to say his taste in women are after me Whew! yikes robert smiles at the use of yikes who says yikes he's had yikes written to him in the form of a text message or an email but I hadn't heard anyone say yikes aloud since his comedian friend jason had said yikes on stage even then it was in the context of yikes tough crowd which the crowd wasn't he was doing it ironically it was funny yikes is a funny word Robert wondered if he were trapped in an unaired episode of Seinfeld. She says, yikes, Jerry, yikes! Nice, was all Robert could reply. He really felt like he was letting the team down when it came to the conversation this morning. Anyway, I just have to take this moment, says Erica, continuing her earlier thought. I just have to say that I have loved your band ever since my sister took me to see you when I was 13 at the big day out. Robert can't help himself. Uh, Which year? Which year? Uh, 1996. You guys, Prodigy, Rage Against the Machine. My sister was 18 and worked at one of the bars. She got me in because she was seeing one of the security guards. She scanned me side of stage and everything. Again, Robert can't help himself. Which big day out What was it? Erica looks at Robert. He realises he doesn't want her to look at him all puffy with a lump on his face. Don't look at the hideous form that was once a man. Throw rotten fruit at the animal. Spy upon him using only his reflection in the mirror or you'll turn to stone. Stone! 1996. Oh wait, you mean where? Adelaide. I'm from Adelaide. You know where they pronounce Lego correctly. Erica pronounces it Lego, the only city in Australia that does so. Robert mentally kicks himself right in the balls. He'd be really enjoying her company if he weren't so hungover and thinking of all the ways he could run ahead and blow up the tram that are slowing their journey into the city. Robert looks at the car that is attempting to nudge ahead of them on his left-hand side. There's no room to sneak in. He looks at the driver, a big man with a big nose and big meaty hands that grip the big wheel to the big car he's driving. What an arsehole. Robert wants to let him to know to fuck off, but since he's so big, he might come over, smash through the door, pick Robert up and throw him to Dubbo. He sighs and returns his attention to Erica. I love Adelaide. Love the big day out there, best after parties, good town. Erica is quite clearly surprised. I love Adelaide too, but my best work opportunities are right here. I'll probably go back one day. Or not. My sister lives here with a kid and my parents live in Mildura and so there's not much reason to go back. I've got friends there, but I don't know. My life is here now. It's good to live where you are, right? Live where you are. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Right. He felt confused, wondering why he was suddenly overwhelmed with embarrassment every time she looked in his direction. Maybe it was because she had a one-way history with him. That 13-year-old girl seeing his band in all their glory, then fast-forwarding decades to find that same guy all broken in a car, a mere shadow of his former glory. How many people feel that when they meet him? Many of his male friends around his age are looking quite fit, but they also appear to do yoga three times a week and say namaste without irony. Robert isn't quite ready to make that commitment just yet. They finally escape the Chapel Street crawl, turning left onto Commercial Road and suddenly finding themselves with a clear road ahead. With movement comes hope, the hope that soon Robert will be out of the cart and able to hide in the offices of the place he jokingly refers to as work. It isn't work, really. He owns the business. Well, co-owns the business. Sometimes he helps out, but in reality, he just trusts his partner. Robert prefers to hide in the shadows and do things when he's called upon. He looks for the signal at night, forming a loose shape on the clouds, a cry for assistance. Time for Robert to save the day! He runs his hand through his hair and remembers too late that this is a mistake. Greasy hair. Poor Melody. Do you mind if I put the window down a little, Robert says feebly. Of course. She pushes a button and the window goes down much further than he expected. All the heat rushes out of the car and Robert feels relieved. His face feels cooler. His skin stops burning. Words join with other words to form full sentences that join with other sentences to form paragraphs of witticisms and flippin' and bon mots that he can finally entertain Erica with. He's back, baby. You guys really were the Australian radio head, Erica says, a big smile across her face. She means it as a compliment. Everyone means it as a compliment. Maybe a few snarky Triple J presenters didn't mean it as a compliment. He used to be really insulted by the comparison, but it was better than that time a drug-to-the-eyeballs Triple J presenter told Robert that they were the Australian equivalent of the Eagles. Fuck that guy. Although Erica's parents would probably approve. Thank you, Robert says. He wants to be sincere because Erica is being nice, but the compliment stabs him right in the heart. He's angry at himself. Just take the compliment. And I have to say... I want Every Time the Rain Appears played at my... I don't want to say funeral because that's too depressing, but yeah, just a great fucking song. Everyone loves that song. Robert can't be angry about that fact since that song made him a lot of money. A lot. It also drove a wedge through so many relationships, including the band. But what was he going to do? He wrote the song. He recorded the song. It wasn't his fault. It was the big hit that appeared on movie soundtracks and enjoyed airplay across the American college scene. It was only meant to be a side project. But the truth is... He knocked it out of the park. I always thought the song was about, oh dear, Erica's going to share with him what the song means to her. Robert had gone through this so many times, with each version getting further and further away from the truth. He once had a middle-aged woman in Texas accost him after a show to tell him how it predicted the return of Jesus. He pushes that annoying fan to one side so he can refocus on Erica, who continues to give her interpretation of the song's lyrics. A sensitive young boy's reaction to the world. He keeps having the world promise him everything, but it delivers nothing. He knows that there is a better place out there he's desperate to belong to, but he can't find a way in. In the end, he's physically trapped in this world and can only imagine his way to a better life. Anyway, that's my take on it. I love it, but you must get that all the time. Yes, he does get that all the time. No, he doesn't get interpretations of the song that are on the money. Robert is delightfully shocked, so much so that he feels almost sober. Yeah, sometimes, he says. For some reason, Robert doesn't want to give away how impressed he is with her thoughts on the song, and then he remembers his manners. But it's nice to hear nonetheless. A momentary silence settles as Erica takes stock of the traffic and makes her way into King Street. They turn right, and Robert points to where he needs to get out. Erica obliges, smoothly pulling into a space out the front of the red and black-coloured store. Robert looks at Erica, feeling uncertain of what to do next. He could give her a kiss, but he has been throwing up all morning. Yet he has brushed his teeth. That has to count for something, right? Damn. After all these years, he still doesn't know the etiquette when it comes to saying goodbye after a one-night stand. Luckily for him, Erica is too busy gawking at the store. Do you work in a comic shop? Erica says. Robert coughs a wet-sounding cough and fears he just caught something on the edge of his hand. He surreptitiously takes a glass and is relieved to find nothing there. I own a comic shop. You're an owner of a comic shop? Oh, a, a part owner, yeah. 50-50 owner. Erica sits back in her chair and looks at Robert. Well, that's too fucking cool. I have to send my sister and niece in. You have to meet my niece. She's the fucking best. Robert looks at Erica a little confused. Are you a comic fan? I sure am, she says, a big smile on her face. Squirrel Girl, Carol Danvers, the Wasp. I was wrapped. They got Michelle Pfeiffer to play her in the movie. So cool. Robert can't help himself but laugh and in doing so knows he's instantly put his new friend offside. She arches one eyebrow and gives him a look, one that instantly makes a person feel vulnerable. Is she a teacher? This is a classic teacher look. Sorry, it is... Look... Robert says, gathering himself. I'm still freaked out that I live in a world where pretty girls and handsome men read comics. I come from an era where it felt like a big deal when my friend Greg and I sat at the front of a train and read Watchmen issue 12 out in public because we couldn't wait another second to find out how it ended. Now I sit in movie theatres where people accept Ego the Living Fucking Planet as a character played by Kurt Russell. It just doesn't make sense to me sometimes. I didn't mean to have a go, it was a compliment really. Erica relaxes her eyebrow and leans over Robert to look back at the store. I wasn't taking offence, Erica says. Oh, sorry, I saw your eyebrow raised and figured you thought I was having a go. Nah, I raised my eyebrow because I realised that you're old enough to have read Watchmen as a monthly comic. (laughs) Ha! Touché. Very funny. Also, it makes total sense to me. What? Why they're popular, says Erica. Because in shitty times, it's nice to fantasise about a world where good people do whatever they can to confront evil. It's reassuring. Robert nods for a moment, really thinking about what was just said. He hadn't really thought about it like that. Yeah, good point. So, I'm not in trouble? Nah, she replies. And even if you were, you get a few bonus points for implying I'm pretty. Okay, that's good to hear, Robert says. He feels he wants to give her more of him, but he doesn't know what or how to do it without it turning into something clichéd. He taps her awkwardly on the shoulder and swings around to let himself out of the car. He feels the icy Melbourne wind caress the uncovered parts of his body, and with that comes a moment of clarity. He leans back into the car through the open window. Hey, um, are we going to see each other again? Erica turns her head to one side, an inquisitive look in her eye. Sure, why not? My name is Robert, Robert Lowry. Tom Major was just my dumb stage name. Erica nods. I actually knew that, but had completely forgotten. Okay, Robert it is. He feels his face redden. What is this feeling? Is he feeling shy? When was the last time he'd experienced that feeling before? I've got a couple of suggestions too, she says. Oh yeah, what's that? First, get that lump on your head checked out. It looks super sore. Robert instinctively reaches for his forehead and then thinks better of it. He already feels mildly emasculated after the liquid laugh session this morning. He doesn't need to wince over his lump in front of her. Will do. And uh, what's the second suggestion, he says? Erica flips the car into gear and checks her rearview mirror before looking back at Robert. If we end up in bed together again, we should totally actually have sex. Thank you for joining us. You're always welcome here. Remember to avoid danger with strangers and never accept advice from mice. We hope to see you again here soon. Until then.
0: Selling a little or a lot?